Hello, everyone. This is Mark Fiquez, the Ballpark Hunter, and you're listening to the Ballpark Hunter podcast. With me today is a man of uh, many different uh, hats. He is the young professor. I'm the Ballpark Hunter. He is the young professor. You don't need to know our first names. How about that? So he's not important. Nobody pays to see those guys. No, no. Yes. He (laughs) is a professional announcer and host. He is the in-game host for the Daytona uh tortugas and he is the savannah banana announcer so he is connected with two ball clubs and we're going to talk to him about both ball clubs and maybe some other things tonight so welcome to the show good to be here mark thanks for having me dude yeah no no definitely so uh i guess we could begin with uh let's begin with uh, daytona i how long how did you become the in-game host with them, and or how did you get started in this business? Maybe it had nothing to do with baseball. It didn't have anything to do with baseball, not originally. Mm-hmm. Uh, baseball has just kind of where it has taken me, which is good because it of all the, the team sports out there, baseball happens to be my favorite among them. Nice. Uh, but I actually started in combat sports, specifically in professional wrestling, okay. almost five years ago. And I started doing that in the Daytona Beach area. And as I started doing more in combat sports, I then got an opportunity to work in arena football. I worked with the Jacksonville Sharks for two years. I was their on-field host for a couple of seasons. And the uh, general manager of the Daytona Tortugas, Jim Jaworski, is a friend of mine. And Jim and I met, gosh, about 12 years ago when I first moved here to Florida. And he was just in ticket sales and I was working in event management. And we've, uh, we've managed to keep up over the years as our our careers intertwined. When I was an actual college professor, I used to bring my students to the ballpark and Jim would kind of arrange things for me to meet with different staff members and show them some things, some real world examples of how sports work. And he watched what I was doing in wrestling and combat sports and and football. And as uh, major league baseball was getting ready to do that major reshuffle a few years ago when they were reorganizing the minor league system and consolidating it, Daytona was one of those teams that was on the bubble of potentially being eliminated from that equation. And we were trying to do all that we could to rally and show what a special ballpark we have. We have the oldest active ballpark in minor league baseball, even still. And so Jim actually reached out to me to see if I wanted to come fill that role for the Tortugas. And as we were getting ready to do it, that's when COVID happened. And so that season didn't happen, but the Tortugas managed to stick around in the minor league system. So I've managed to work two years now in that role, in that capacity with the Tortugas. Yeah, that's uh, that was a, a really scary time for a lot of teams. You didn't know if you had seen your last game and then COVID comes and yeah, you already saw your last game. But yeah, it's glad that Daytona stuck around and uh, was able to uh, continue as a, an affiliated ball club. Uh, so uh, Daytona. You're doing the uh, Tortugas uh, in-game host. I've seen these guys in action. Uh, You have that voice. You just have that voice of magic. It's like, oh, this guy would sound perfect. I always call it a radio voice. You know, I used to do radio back in the day, and I never had a radio voice. But you definitely have that voice that, you know, can do voiceovers for commercials, or you could probably narrate uh, a history program or a sports highlight reel. Uh, what are some of your duties in Daytona when it comes to a game? Do you, do you wear anything flashy? You got something colorful on today. Is that similar? 
that's my whole shtick, if okay. you will. If I'm talking wrestling, that's the gimmick, brother. Uh, it's a lot of bright, colorful stuff and no repeats, not in a single season either. That's another little special feature. Uh, I, It's not something I started doing when I first started, uh, at least in combat sports. But once the outfits started getting a little flashier and adding a little bit of personality to just the visual presentation to go with the actual performance of the duties, I started getting booked a lot more. And I think that's what started to take off. So that was one of the things, one of the reasons they actually brought me into the Tortugas. So I uh, show up in something crazy every single night mm -hmm. and it's different every game of the season. And we have a lot of fun and engage in uh, multiple shenanigans throughout the course of an evening. Yeah. And what are typical crowds like? I've been to Jackie Robinson ballpark. It's been quite some time, uh, but being that's a tourist destination for a lot of people, uh, do you get big crowds or, you know, do you have to have these certain type of promotions to attract uh, the audience? We actually I mean, I can only really speak to these, these last two seasons. Right. So I remember coming as a fan and I remember especially when the rebrand happened back in 2015. It seemed like they had a lot of buzz when the Tortugas cool. first took over from the then Daytona Cubs. That's right. And so there were a lot of fans then. Uh, but, you know, we started last year, which was the covid year. And we would average, I want to say, probably around a thousand fans a game, maybe nine hundred, if I'm being more accurate. I don't know for sure, but I know this past season we did exceptionally better, and we were probably averaging somewhere around twelve to thirteen hundred fans a game. And our ballpark only seats about four thousand. Um, it's you know, would we have liked to see more? Of course, but we had a few games where we were rocking and rolling around three thousand fans. We had Jacob Degrom do a rehab start in Daytona, which is special because he's from that area. He's from like two towns over and grew up in the Daytona Beach area. So we had a sold out house that night, mm -hmm. and so we uh, we've had some good fan engagement this this uh, summer in particular, especially on weeknights, believe it or not. And that's uh, we were one of the strongest in our entire Florida State League on Tuesdays and Wednesdays. We were drawing more fans out than all the other teams in the Florida State League combined most nights. So that why do you think that was Tuesdays and Wednesdays? Because those are not popular nights or was that some kind of promotion taking place? No, I mean, we have some promotions. I mean, on Tuesday nights, we're always our silver slugger nights. So we have that older contingency of fans, which okay. if yeah. folks follow on at home, it's Florida. We uh, there's there's quite a bit of a contingency of that. But the other cities have it, too. Um, I like to think that I think the word got out this year how much more fun we were having because we really doubled down on that. We're a small team we're a small organization we don't have the same kind of funding uh, we don't have all the bells and whistles that a lot of other teams do so it kind of forced us from an entertainment perspective to get more creative and i dare say i would put our little squad this past year up against just about anybody if you gave us more of a budget we could have really crushed it but we had oh, a yes. lot of fun yes. putting things together and, and engaging as many fans as we could every night and people i think liked coming and i think the shorter games actually helped with that this summer too Oh, no, you're definitely right. If people like coming out, they, they're definitely going to let people know. Uh, now, you mentioned Jacob DeGrom. I'm a, I'm a big Mets fan, so Jake's... As uh, am I, of, so I'm feeling yeah. your pain right now. <laughs> yeah, Jake, Jake's one of my favorites. I think I'm worried about whether he's going to come back or not. I cannot think of uh, Jake wearing any other uniform but a New York Mets uniform. Did you get a chance to talk to him? I did not get a chance oh. to talk... Uh, to him directly, but I got to introduce him in front of a sold out house, which you is go. you know not something we do for other teams. But I was told uh, from a few different sources, people on the field that said he was, 
you know, watching what was going on when we were introducing him and he was smiling and yucking it up and having a good time. So um, I like to think that we did a good job kind of rolling out the green carpet for him for his yes. homecoming there in Volusia County. Yeah. Now, uh, you also mentioned that you work with the bananas. So do you do that at the same time during the season? You you work for both clubs or? Yeah, this was a crazy year for how, me. For how do you sure. pull that off? That sounds like a lot to do. Well, first of all, I mean, the bananas are only about three hours away from me, okay. which is not a terrible hike, especially, you know, starting in, in wrestling in the way that I have. I mean, you go on the weekends, you're hitting okay. the road and, and right, you're driving so. a few hours. So I'm not, you know, a stranger to that practice. And so a three hour shot really isn't bad. That's that I can do that in one night. And I have before. Uh, but I oh. primarily work with them as part of the banana ball team as part of the, the premier okay. league world tour. So I went on the entire world tour with them. And most of those all happened prior to the actual minor league baseball season. Okay. So there wasn't much conflict. There were a couple of dates where I had to kind of skip out on one or the other. I missed a weekend in Savannah for opening weekend with the Tortugas. And I missed four or five games with the Tortugas to do some work with the bananas. But, uh, just a good job, you know, just trying to yeah. balance it all. And it was a lot of fun along the way, too. Yeah, and, bo and both clubs don't mind that. There's no animosity. Like, hey, you only work for us and that's – I can't imagine there is, but I figured I'd just no. ask that question. Yeah, because there was a – God, this uh, several years ago, I was writing for two websites. And I, I'm not going to – I mean, one was our Sports Central. The other one was uh, Ballpark Digest. And one of the guys got mad because I was writing for two websites and not just theirs. And I just thought to myself, I said, well, I did, didn't sign a contract with you to tell me right. that I'm only going to write for you. If that's the case, let me know and we can hash something out. But, you know, when you're a freelance writer, you, you write for anybody who pays you. That's kind of how that works. So I was just kind of yeah, shocked I mean that that got brought up to me. And uh, just it still has me scratching my head all these years later, but eh, I moved on. I'm not. Okay. I've seen it. Uh, you know, okay. in, in pro wrestling, that happens a lot. Even in the independent, like you're making, you know, you're getting a hot dog and a handshake and, and guys are getting angry with you for, for working for some other company that they've got heat with, brother. And, okay. you know, you're like, I'm just trying to get reps. I'm just trying to do yeah. good work. Yeah, you know, no, I mean, exactly. I'm for sale. If you want to pay my salary every month, I will work for you. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And that's, you alone. That's how I looked at it. If you want to pay me for writing articles or contributing to the web website, let me know. I I'll do sure. it. But we you can know, solve it. Right. We can solve it that way. And unfortunately, things just, you know, kind of went downhill from there. So you mentioned how you work for the Jacksonville Sharks. That's kind of how I got my uh, foot into the door writing on uh writing for uh the websites i wrote for our sports central i'm sorry i wrote for arena fan i was covering the new jersey gladiators back in 2001 so i remember i it was a free gig you did it because i was still in school trying to get some attention uh trying to get my name out there but that's yeah that's how i started doing all this media coverage and getting media passes and interviewing players and you know, just going out to the game and being a reporter it was all because of arena football. And uh, I, I miss those days. You know, I miss arena football. Uh, I know there's indoor football teams out there. I know the Jacksonville Sharks are still playing in the National Arena League. But yes, uh, do you still follow the Sharks? Uh, I mean, what, what was your take on arena football? Are you shocked that it folded? Do you miss it? 
So I, I, by the time I got in, the Arena Football League had gone away so they gone uh, almost away. entirely. I think they folded completely the first year I was there, but we were already out of it. We were in the National okay. Arena League already. Yeah, League. And several of those franchises had kind of gravitated to yeah. the National Arena League. And I, I can't speak for all of the other franchises, but Jacksonville was one of the strongest fan bases and present. I mean, we played in the arena. We played in the Veterans, you know, Bystar Memorial Arena. Mm-hmm. We had you know, some nights, 10,000 fans in the That's arena. Great. So it was, um, it was really an unbelievable experience. Uh, I, you know, there were things I liked, things I didn't like, but it was so important for me early on to get that opportunity to do that. And it's, it's just opened so many doors. So I do still follow and keep up with those guys. Just, it's uh, something I've gravitated away from just schedule and, and, and money wise, mm-hmm. it was something that I was better suited to kind of look at other opportunities. Yeah, no, you're right. I I loved arena football, but I was more of a baseball guy. So when I had the chance to just write about baseball and and baseball solely, I I still write about other sports. I do reviews, but when it comes, you know, to baseball, when I'm doing a podcast, uh, yeah, baseball's my jam. That's uh, that's what I like to talk about. So, uh, you know, that's the thing. I got to tell you though, I miss I miss the air conditioning as a guy that wears suits all summer long. That is nice. I work for. I do miss that frigid arena that I used to work in. By comparison. That is, uh, I remember being in Orlando, 1991, when the Orlando Predators first debuted and they, they didn't sell out the first game, but they sold out their next game. And then I went to Tampa Bay and they had 22,000 people at the, what was known as the Suncoast Dome back then. And I'm like, my goodness, 22,000 people at an arena football game. And you're right. It was like a two and a half hour game. It was air conditioned. They had all these wacky promotions going on, cheerleaders, Hooter Girls, mascots. Orlando had some renegade, evil-looking mascot coming down on a rope from the the top of the roof. They brought out caged Panthers because they were honoring some former football team that had played there in 1966. It was just such a – it was a circus and a spectacle. Laser light show, welcome to the jungle. Yeah. Zubass pants. I don't know if you remember Yeah, you Zubass. can't beat that, man. Yeah. That's a party. And, That's- <laughs> and, I, and I just thought that was the coolest thing in the world. I was about 14 at the time. And I was like, this is the greatest thing I've ever seen in my life. You know, I love it. I want to arena a football team in New Jersey because that's where I live. We would visit Florida during the summer. But by the so time I grew it- up in Jersey, too, oh, I did. Really? Um, yes. Uh, so I don't remember. I mean, I, I guess I remember the. Philly team because I remember always seeing stuff about Bon Jovi. Yeah, the Soul. I, I, yeah, the Philadelphia Soul. I don't remember the New Jersey. Where'd they play? They played up at the Meadowlands. Did they really? So right there, I grew up in Rahway, so I'm like 15, you, 20 minutes from. Wait, wait, wait. You, you grew up in, I grew up in Colonia. Did you really? Yeah. Holy cow, just one town away. Wow. In fact, whenever somebody from Indiana would call my house, it said Rahway on the really? phone bill. Yeah, and they never knew how to say, what, what is this town that you live in? I go, it's Rahway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Rawway. You can't get. I mean, I just had an interview with a gentleman the other day from Fanwood. Okay, I did. And I, those are I, all nicer. You know, all of you guys yeah. that lived in nicer towns than I did. Rawway, when I lived there, was not uh, anything. Oh yeah, yeah, Rawway. To write about. Yeah, that's where you would park if you didn't go to Metro Park to park uh, your car to go to New York on the train. You went to Rawway. Uh, right. Then, then Rawway had like a little different schedule compared to Metro Park. So wow, you grew. How long did you live in Rawway for? My up until I was 22 years old. So I, I grew up there my entire life. And then I, I graduated. I went to school in South Jersey. So I went to Rowan University. OK, yeah, uh, he went. Got, this guy went to Rowan, too. Yep. 
got my bachelor's degree and then I moved to Southern Illinois for two years. I was right outside of St. Louis. So I saw a lot of Cardinals games out there. A lot like when Pujols was crushing home runs in the bleachers, right? Like a row behind me every night and then uh, moved to Florida right after that. And that's, that's kind of where the sports journey really began. Yeah. And and he was still crushing home runs up until a few uh, weeks ago. Dude, I couldn't believe that. Yeah. That's great. Cause you know, he's, he's a little bit older than me and, I'm I'm sorry, I'm a little bit older than him. And I'm just like, oh, guys my age are still playing baseball, but a lot of them are retiring. So, you know, everybody maybe plays. he'll come play with the bananas next year. That seems to be the the thing that all these retired guys are doing. You, you know, that that's what I'm kind of thinking about because they are now a professional team. Yep. And what is stopping them from getting a guy like Albert Pulhos? I don't know if he would command big money. I don't know how much they could pay him. But they could definitely. I don't get know some... that any of these guys are looking for money. I'll be honest. I, I don't know the business end of it at all. Yeah. I, I show up, I perform, I, I've got the stuff, you know, where they want me. I've got an idea and I, I go do my part. But, you know, we got to work with Jake Peavy. Yeah. We got to work with Johnny Gomes. We got to work with Jonathan Papelbon. You know, those are all guys I got to mix it up with. And I don't know what money there was. I don't know that there was money. I, the, the, the impression I got just from listening to these guys and just seeing them talk and the way they interacted with us and with fans was, I think they were just so happy to be a part of something like this. And I could hear, you know, guys who have held, you know, that have world series rings and they're saying, this is the most fun I've ever had playing baseball. Maybe, maybe the world series game, whatever, but like, but to hear them say that about what we're doing in Savannah and you think about the heights that they have gone to, these guys have action figures made of them, you know, like this is, this is the highest of the high and they can't wait to come put on a kilt and come put on these goofy uh, tutus and, and yellow uniforms and dance with these guys and have fun with fans. Cause they've never gotten to do that before. And so I think it's, it's given these guys who maybe who can still who are athletic enough to do something competitively, but not the grind of major league baseball, but still have that love for the game to come out, play and have an absolute blast doing it. Like they did probably when they were little kids. And that's, that's what the bananas I think are doing for these guys. Yeah. Cause you know, when I was talking to Biko, I was, I was saying to myself, I said, you guys are an anomaly. I just don't know if another team can pull this off, you know, a 32 city tour uh playing you know everywhere from uh savannah down to uh all the way out to Racho cucamonga i mean I-, I never would have thought a team could pull something off like that but they managed to do that they're coming out here to indianapolis i'm hoping to be out there for the game i already have fan- uh, some of my friends asking me to buy tickets or Dude, can- you gotta get them yeah you gotta get them you gotta be there i mean I heard you ask that question to Biko. I heard you say, you know, how does it live up to the hype? And and all I can tell you is it's better because it's better I, I was, I was, I was a fan, right? Like I like, like you, like a lot of people that are watching it. I was a fan. I was watching from afar and I saw the videos and I was enamored with it. And I hadn't even seen a game. And when I met them, I, I actually reached out. I got a hold of Jesse. This was, um, last year while I was doing my first season with the Tortugas and I so desperately wanted to get to a game in Savannah. I managed to get tickets for my family and I, for one game. And I just reached out. I said, Hey, you know, I, I read your book. I love everything you guys are doing. And he and I emailed a little bit and I said, I'll be in town for this. I said, I don't know if you need anybody, but I am an announcer. I work. And if you need something, let me know. And he goes, actually, we might need something. And like, he's like, I want you to enjoy the game, but, but if you want to do something with us, you're welcome to come try it out. And I was like, are you kidding me? Absolutely. And so I got to be in the show, but then just go enjoy it. And 
I've never seen my kids, my wife, and we go to, I mean, I've hosted myself over a thousand events in just the seven years I've been doing anything in entertainment. So they are around fun stuff all the time. I have never seen them have that much fun at something. And I, I see that from people every night. It is, you walk in with expectations and they're high, but when you're there, man, it, um, it, it you can't describe it like words audio you have to be there and so i think the fact that we're going to all these cities it just gives that opportunity to so many people to experience that with us and i never hear a bad word not from anyone I, you if you have a pulse <laughs> you are going to enjoy this that's yeah. just the bottom line yeah i know Biko was explaining how people arrive there early and there, there's activities going on there uh i know the the saint paul saints do things like that before their games I remember though I, I going to those games are a lot of fun too. There's a lot of activity happening there and, and they have a lot of characters running around the stadium and uh, the fans are, the, the stands are packed. They have a lot of local food. Uh, they have like a, a pregame parade, but yeah, banana ball to a lot of folks here. It's like, it's like the biggest thing uh, that has hit us in years. And you know, here, here it is coming to Indy. It's coming up to Milwaukee. It's going out to Houston and, and Sugarland. Uh, I'm just, you know, I, I'm still amazed. And I I know there's other teams that say, hey, we want to do it just like the bananas. You know, we want to have that type of atmosphere, but it's got to take a lot of work. And I'm just for sure. You know, how how just how hard is it? Does Jesse ever sleep? I mean, I don't think he does. I'll no, be very I can't honest imagine. with you. And this guy's probably just up right now, just jotting down ideas on what to do. Yeah. I mean, I know for a fact that he wakes up very early every single morning and, and takes at least an hour for himself. He exercises. He usually runs at least five or six miles. I know he writes down 10 ideas every single day. Um, I know that he, you know, does a little bit of meditation and all that stuff. And this is just all part of his meditation. Wow. Just his, yeah. I mean, it's, uh, he does something called the miracle morning, or at least that's where he took the inspiration from, mm. from a, a guy named Hal Elrod. And, uh, I read that book this summer and, uh, it, it's, it's a difference maker. If you're somebody that's kind of looking to get a hold on things in your life, it, I do recommend it, but that's Jesse starts his day with that every day. And then he goes full tilt boogie in one of his seven yellow tuxes the entire day. And then, you know, on game days, we go till late. He's up till late. And then he wakes up the next morning and does it all again. The man, he's an alien. I don't know. He, I don't know how he does it. Cause I, even I need sleep and I work, I, I thought I worked a lot, but yeah, uh, no, no, I, yeah. I, like I said, this is not my full-time gig. I'm a teacher. I coach soccer. There's days I'm up at six o'clock and I don't come home till 10 after a game. If it's a road game, depending on where it is. And same I'm and a teacher I, and, as well. That's and, yeah. It's yeah, that's the I, day job. And yeah, then there's the night right job. To bed. So what do you teach? Uh, I'm a high school history and social studies teacher. I teach world history and psychology, but I actually used to be a college professor. That's where the whole name okay. comes from. Yeah. And where were you? Was it Southern Illinois? No. Well, I went to, I did my master's there in Southern Illinois, okay. uh, but when I moved to Florida is when I started all the, the teaching. Yeah. Okay. And, and how's, how, how's the uh, demand for teachers out there? Uh, there's a tremendous shortage. So yeah. I, I guess it's good for us, but it, you get it. What grades do you teach? I'm a high. I'm a special ed teacher at the high school. I was in the. I was co-teaching math. Now I'm in geography. So this is my okay first time. First time in the social studies department. Well, that's that's a little different. It, you go from math to geography. Well, what happened was, uh, 
at my former school, I was a reading special ed teacher. So I was gotcha. doing read 180. I was helping these kids with their Lexile scores. I come over to the new school, the new district, and it's like, well, we need math teachers. I'm like, okay. So I did that for about six years, seven. Next thing I know, well, we're going to pull you out. We're getting rid of co-teaching and math. We're going to set that up differently. We're going to give you just a resource classroom all day. So I'm in a room all day with maybe five, six kids a period, helping them with their homework. You know, some kids needed my help. Some kids didn't. Some kids, you couldn't help them at all. So uh, I just talked to my department chair and I said, you know, I, I wouldn't mind being in social studies just because I've always had an interest in that. So then a few months later, she's like, OK, we'll put you in geography. And I love it. I love it better than than math. I mean, math is fine. But if, if it, you know, I had kids that could never pass math, at least with geography, you can explain things to them a little bit better. Uh, if they're failing, it's because they're not really putting in the effort. Or not in how much classroom. of that do you see? Because that's that's what I see constantly, and it drives me yeah, bon- no, it drives no, me bananas to use the, yeah. uh, to stay on topic here. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it, yeah, it drives me crazy too because we had a project where the kids had to take. This is odd talking about my actual job on this podcast, but that's fine <laughs> with me. Wherever the road takes yeah, us, wherever it's the road takes you, I'm like, wow, we're talking teaching. Well, we had this one, uh, <laughs> this one assignment, and it's been created for a few years. You were an owner of a soccer team and it was in the MLS and you had a place in a city of your choice that didn't have a team. And you had to look up on online, you know, three positive reasons to put the team there and one negative. You had to create a logo that had something to do with the city. So a lot of kids picked Indianapolis. They said, well, we already support the Colts. We've hosted the Super Bowl. We have two million people in the area. Our crime rate is low compared to some other cities. They came up with uh, some names and you modeled the work for them. You gave them examples. You gave them sheets to follow that were visual. And it's like they worked on it. They didn't work on it at home. You know, they didn't stay after to get after school tutoring, you know, and it just was frustrating because it wasn't that difficult of a project. And then, you know, then we jumped into another project and then it's the same thing. You explain what they had to do. Uh, you know, they had to de- design a new development for a piece of property they bought. Uh, and I told them Friday, we present Friday, we present Thursday, come after class, come after school and get help because the next day we're presenting. I had two or three kids. Uh, I'm not finished yet. What do you mean you're not finished? We're about we're yeah. about to start it right now. So, and and who knows what the reason is? I don't know what some of these kids' lifestyles are, are like when they get home. But that that you know what, man, it's frustrating. I'll um I'll tie it to what we're here to talk about, and and I think I think a lot of it is just a reflection of what the culture is right now. Mm-hmm. I think it's this: I want as much entertainment as quick and fast and at my yeah. fingertips as possible, and that's challenging in the classroom. And it's challenging in baseball right now. And I think everyone is seeing that because, you know, fan engagement and fan attendance, like those are things that are on the decline largely across most of uh, most sports and and baseball in particular, because baseball is a very methodical game, right? It's, it's a game of intelligence and there's a lot of back and forth. It's like a chess match with, you know, bouts of action kind of sprinkled in throughout and the attention span that kids and just people, our culture has these days is not there. Because it's this TikTok generation, it's this this immediate. You have the most entertaining, incredible things on your phone in your fingertips, yep. right there at your disposal. So the rest of the world, 
might as well be a black and white television when you've been watching everything in 3D. And it's tough to engage kids for us as teachers. And it's tough for baseball. But why something like the bananas works is because it's like being inside of the Internet and it's happening all around you. And I think that's goes back to what you were asking about before, why another team could not do what the bananas do. It's because they're hitting everything. And when you get a chance to go to the game, you'll see it because from the minute you get out of your car. And I know that was the question you asked Biko. You're like, you get out of your car. What do you see? Yeah, that's when it starts, because you can feel the excitement in the, in the crowd of just fans just standing in line. We've got a DJ out there, so he's playing music. So we're already kind of priming you for fun from the minute you walk up. I mean, how many places do you go where you sit in line, where you stand in line and there's something fun going on? Very few, I dare say. So when the bananas do it and from the second you get in, when six o'clock hits and we start that pre that pregame ritual for an hour, it's nonstop. There's about 40 promotions before the game even starts. And the guys are doing TikTok dances in the middle. And you've got the man Nana, the dad bod cheerleading squad running and dancing throughout the stands. You've got the banana nanas, the, the granny dance squad that's oh, yeah. out there. I've you've got them. magicians. You've got dancing umpires. Stilts, right? You've got mascots. You've got stilts. You've got. And every pitch, there's a sound effect or a song or something to sing to. It is a nonstop, overwhelming sensory bombardment. And people love it because it doesn't allow them that chance to get bored. It doesn't let them just feel like, oh, I don't want to do this. I could be doing something better. In the classroom where we're at, man, we can't keep up with these phones and these computers. <laughs> no. We we act like we're doing these kids a favor by giving them all these computers and all this technology. But all they're able to do is tune us out and uh it's it's gonna take a lot of work on the teaching end and and baseball needs it too but the bananas are one of those teams one of those businesses really that are capitalizing on the way people are consuming entertainment and they're using it to develop a game and a sport and grow love and, and a fan base like like nothing i've ever seen before yeah no no you're absolutely right and uh you know like you said you have to go to bananas game to see it and, and that's the key there. People are like, I love this logo. I love the name. I've seen them on TV. I've heard about their games. That's the thing we've heard. We've hear about the games. We hear what goes on there. It's, it's everywhere. Like, yeah. It's this mystery. Like here in Indianapolis, the, the Indians do quite well drawing people. I mean, they probably, I don't know how many they drew this year, but there's been years they've drawn close to 9,000 people. So, you know, 8,500, they finished top in AAA uh, up there with Charlotte. Uh, they do a great job. Uh, are they hitting you over the head with, uh, you know, every type of sound effect or whatnot? No, but it's just, you know, people love going to games there. It's repeat customers. People know, know what they get. Could I, could I, could the Indians do a little bit more perhaps? Do they have to? No, I've been to games when there's 12, 13,000 people there. You know, that's, that's incredible for, uh, for a triple A team to attract uh, is that a t-shirt night or is that one of those you know uh, star wars night or that yeah, sort of it, thing yeah it could be you know i think when i went there it was a set it was a friday night fireworks you know something okay. like that that that's one that families gravitate yeah. towards it's they gravitate out and one thing i like about victory field is that you sit in the grass you can bring out a cooler uh it has to be a certain size certain width. that's cool a lot of places don't let you do that you bring your own food you can't bring alcohol but you know, if you're there with kids, you bring out the, the type of food they like, crackers and, you know, uh, sandwiches. I, I don't know what you're bringing in as, you know, some, some people goldfish, bring goldfish, you know, goldfish, crackers, yeah. meats, cheeses, a, a couture bar, a, a charcuterie table. There you uh, go. Yeah. You bring out things like that. Uh, a buddy of mine brings out like beef jerky, brings out deviled eggs. 
pulls out, you know, if, if you go with like five people, everybody brings a cooler of something. And then you go grab a beer, you grab a Sun King or you grab a wine slushy, uh, you, you, you grab something else. So I kind of like that. And yeah, you're right. Not, not a lot of places do that. Uh, so if you're a family here, I bought my ticket. I paid for park. I don't have to get any food for the kids. Uh, maybe maybe I buy a couple beers, $20 total. Yeah, it's it's a cheap night. And, you know, you just get to hang out there and socialize uh, with fans. I think that that lawn seating out there is just probably one of the best uh, lawn seats I've seen at any ballpark. Because sometimes they're a little bit too steep. Sometimes they're too short. Sometimes they're too narrow. It, it's perfect. And I, I don't think they've changed it since the ballpark opened in uh, 1996. It's It's quite lovely. Well, it sounds like a full-on tailgate party out there, almost with the people uh, yeah. bringing charcuterie boards yeah. and, and got the coolers and stuff. That's see, that's a good time. Yeah, I haven't seen time. too many ballparks like that. So that's um, that's definitely a nice little feature they got going for them for yeah, sure. And th- yeah, and that's one thing I know is like when I go to certain ballparks, uh, you know, out in New Jersey, I'll when I go home, I'll check out Somerset and Trenton. Uh, these ballparks are not wraparound, so everything is just squashed between the two foul lines. Right. And I'm thinking like, you guys are going to explode at the seams. Like you got to figure out a way to, to make this stadium a little bit bigger. And I know Trenton has uh, the parking lot and then they, they, it butts up to the Delaware river. So that could be an issue. And then Somerset, you know, edges out to uh, the train tracks. So that could be an issue, but it's, there's like a lot going on there, but yeah, it's just not wrap around. You got to give some breathing room. Well, I mean, it depends on how many fans are attracting. You know, if if that works for oh, them, then oh yeah, then, Somerset. Then yes, yeah. Uh, well, I don't know how Trent does anymore since they're not a Yankee affiliate, but both clubs are attracting good four or five thousand people a game. Uh, Somerset has always drawn well. They've been one of those few independent teams that can really kick some butt and uh, and draw a nice crowd. And that's probably one of the reasons why the Yankees left Trent. They're like, yeah, we're going to go to Somerset. Bye, Trenton. Your uh, <laughs> your clubhouse ceilings are too small, apparently. Yeah, yeah, that that was part of the criteria. For yeah, part of the criteria. Some of the reasons they shifted everything. It's amazing we made the cut, and I think the reason the Tortugas did is because the, the color barrier in baseball was broken, not in Brooklyn. It was broken in Daytona Beach because yeah. the year before Jackie went to the major leagues, he played in the minor leagues. He played uh, for the Montreal Royals, and the Montreal Royals, their summer, uh, their spring training was held in Daytona Beach. So the yes. first time he ever played an integrated game of baseball, him and another guy on the team at the time by the name of John Wright, who was a pitcher, they suited up in Daytona Beach. And that was the only city in the South that was going to allow them to do it. And so uh, our history and the fact that we're still there and that we've committed to making some alterations and changes to kind of make it a little more player friendly is the reason that Daytona got to stick around. But you're right. Like unless uh, the ballparks have kind of, certain uh, amenities and yeah that, certain, fan, uh, yeah that fans are not seeing it's gonna be for right. players you know it could right. be batting cages coaching changing rooms uh but yeah getting back to uh jackie robinson i remember there's a ballpark in sanford and i think there was i don't know if it was him or willie mays i think one of the guys were not allowed to play there jackie and wasn't they, jackie they were wasn't. originally supposed to play there and sanford was like no. Okay. Jacksonville also said no, but uh, Dr. Mary McLeod Bethune, 
who's the founder of uh, Bethune-Cookman University that's here, uh, historically Black College University. Um, she was, she her, her parents were both slaves. She went into politics. She was in the cabinet for FDR in the 1940s. Okay. So she was a huge civil rights advocate before there were, were any civil rights advocates. I mean, this is before the civil rights movement in the 60s. Some might say that this is one of the things that really kind of kicked it off. But she was a huge beacon of light and hope to kind of allow that thing to happen. So she's the reason Daytona was that city, okay. whereas Sanford, Jacksonville, they were still shut off. In fact, those teams, the, when when the Royals would go play, they would cancel their road games. They would forfeit them just to not let them play there. But then Daytona was selling out. And then the next year, everybody was selling out to see them because I guess it was such an attraction to see a mixed ball club that a lot of those guys wound up shooting themselves in the foot and losing out on money, too. So I guess that's what you get when you, you know, you play ignorant games like that. Yeah. And, and it's just unfortunate. That's what people thought back back in the 1940s. Sure. And, and, you know, I'm glad. I don't know. It's amazing that those ideas were going on, even even owners saying, well, we don't want some of these great african-american players on our baseball team some of these owners would see negro league games at their own ballpark they would see the crowds you know they must have known about satchel page and josh gibson and cool papa bell and larry doby playing the way they played you know like i want that guy on my team i want to win a pennant you know i want to beat the yankees i want to beat the dodgers you know but I got to learn so much about the Negro Leagues uh, this year. I mean, it, it, working for the, you know, with the Tortugas and, and we're so interwoven with all the Jackie Robbins and stuff, especially, I mean, even across all the minor league baseball this year, they had the nine nights at all the affiliated ballparks. And the reason that's called the nine, that was Jackie's number when he played in the minor leagues. He wasn't 42. He was number nine. Mm-hmm. So that's what he played. For. So on Jackie Robinson Day, Instead of 42, our guys have always worn number nine because that's what Jackie wore in Daytona. Okay. Um, So I I got to learn there, but a lot of the places that we went with the bananas on this last tour, which we only did eight cities, but we played at a lot of these old ballparks. You know, we went to Golden Park in Columbus, Georgia, which, you know, Jackie played there and a lot of other guys played there. We got to to go to, um, I mean, obviously we were in Daytona. And then we went we went to Kansas City and we went to the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum. In fact, if if you watch the last episode of Banana Land on ESPN Plus, Bob Kendrick, who's the president, the guy, he's the main man over there. He gave us a private tour and you got to learn so much about all those guys. Um, Like it really is incredible. And it almost felt like we were on this weird kind of taking inspiration from the Negro Leagues barnstorming style this entire tour. That vibe was there Mm because even Grayson Stadium where the Bananas call home was one of those places where these guys played once upon a time. So it's uh, that's what's cool about this upcoming tour is the Bananas are not just hitting these huge, really cool, really nice brand new ballparks. We still love old ballparks and we still love the history of the game and and to be able to bring something new to those places that have been there so long and have seen so many people it's just a really really cool thing to kind of introduce that element yeah no and and you're right and you know you guys went to rickwood which is uh you know 1910 it was built i i got to see the rickwood classic there uh i was able to get goosebumps when you went in because i did yeah, it's uh, well, I had been there a few times before where there was just high school or, or youth games going on. But, yeah, it's quite the spectacle when you were there to see an actual minor league game and you saw the crowds and you saw the former Negro League players getting bust in and, and sitting in one section. You get a chance to talk baseball with them. Yeah, it's incredible. It is one of the best experiences I've had because 
not much has changed at that ballpark. It is still very reminiscent of, of that era. And thank God they never knocked it down. What a shame oh, that would have been. What a <laughs> shame. Yeah. And, and there's a video of me from one of my first visits. I'm walking on the roof. Cause you can go up on the gazebo above home plate. And I decided to walk all the way down uh, first baseline uh, towards uh, the outfield wall. <laughs> I'm up there just talking, shooting a video. And somebody comes up there and says, yeah, you're really not supposed to be up here. You know, this roof isn't stable. <laughs> and then I think a year later they had to shut the stadium down and repair the roof. So I'm thinking, Oh my goodness, I could have fell through the roof and killed myself. But I went up there in that gazebo just, yeah. just to take it all in. Yeah. It's, uh, it's... Special place, man. And we're going out there again. And we had 10,000 fans last year and, mm-hmm. and I'm sure we'll do it all again. So, I mean, anybody listening, if you are looking for a game to go to yes. that kind of pays tribute to also the history of baseball, man, come on out there. Cause that's uh that, that place, I think just to see that facility and understand what it means. It's, I mean, it's the oldest ballpark in the world for baseball. Yeah. Yeah. You got And the, the vintage signs are out there. All the, all the old advertising sign, the old scoreboard. I mean, uh, you, beautiful. You think, I think they even have the original wall uh, behind. Yeah, it's back the, behind it, behind it's, it. And you're thinking it's so far, it is so far, but you know, was it, you know, nobody was thinking about hitting home runs back in 1910 like that. It was all about it's like stone. It's like concrete. Yeah, too. It's, a con- it's, yeah, it's, it's concrete. And there's like a marker on there. And you're like, what the heck? And even the scoreboard, there's this very narrow ladder. There's this ladder that goes up this narrow landing and you walk around on it. And I, I walked on there too. And I got yelled at cause I wasn't supposed to be there. And <laughs> yeah, I got yelled at Ask forgiveness, yeah, not I, permission. I, I, I got out. Uh, yeah. I got asked a few times to stop, to stop, you know, going places at Rickwood that I wasn't supposed to, but you know, I mean, I was just so excited to being out there that uh, I couldn't help myself, but yeah, tons of fun. Now with the world tour, are you going on the road with to most of the games? If not all, How's I'll be going? honest with you. I haven't had conversations leading into this next one. My understanding is yes. Um, but until we have those chats, I don't have definitive yeah. answers. It's it, the scope and the scale of this tour yeah, is considerably huge bigger and longer than, than last year. Like last year I was able to save just enough days off to not actually, you know, take any unpaid days from school. I had just, Oh man, I, I like to the minute well. I had just enough. Yeah. Um, so this year it might look a little different. I'm not sure, but uh, I've, I've told Jesse this and, and just all the people in that organization. I know you've gotten to talk with some of them. I will follow those guys to the ends of the earth. It, it is the most fun I've had doing anything and it feels like we are on a rocket ship headed straight for the moon and I, I i hope they will continue to have me be a part of it because i have such a blast doing it and getting to bring that experience to that many fans and, and fire them up and get them excited about this cool thing if they will have me i will go far and wide coast to coast you name it i will be there yeah well yeah i was telling uh, Mik- uh biko i said i think you guys are gonna be playing in japan or australia one day the, the rate you guys are going i see australian people yeah. on all their tiktok posts and like they are clamoring for this so I, i've heard whispers about cruise ships and other weird stuff i mean cruise jesse's ships. got some funky ideas of like where we can take this and if it's normal we do the opposite so this year i mean as much as this past year was really an experimental year to see if this works we sold out every city we went to yeah that's, this that's next impressive. year 32 cities 
we're really going to see what this thing can do. And I think we are just barely breaching the surface of where this thing is going to go. Yeah, because uh, I had a podcast with uh, Regan Wood. He's the owner of the Auckland Tuataras of the Australian Baseball League. He says he knows Jesse. He's been in conversations with him. So I'm not surprised. Yeah, I mean, I Jesse yeah. was just at Fenway Park two weeks ago having conversations with those guys. I mean, the fact of the matter is we're just not ready in 2023. Mm-hmm. But I know this we are planning on uh, on ramping it up and getting ready to thrill 30, 40,000 fans at a time. So I think you're right. I think it's a matter of time for this show really hits the road and, and world tour really means the world. Yeah, no, no, you're right. And and like you said, you know, we had, you know, Negro League, the Indianapolis Clowns used to tour the House of David. Of course, you have the Harlem Globetrotters. Everybody compares them to to uh, that basketball team. So, yeah, it's 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 common. It's not something that's new. Teams used to barnstorm the Chicago Bears when they first got uh, Red Grange. Uh, what did a tour themselves out on the West Coast to showcase their team and, and market their brand, you know, uh, Hallis was uh, definitely on top of that as well. So these are just great minds thinking the same way. But yeah, banana ball taking over the world. I see people with shirts. I see people with hats. It's obviously when you see someone with a banana hat, you make a, you make conversation with. So it's, do you have one yet? Do you have any good banana gear yet? No, I don't have any gear yet. I have Dude, not. You got You got to get you some. You look I, good in yellow. Yeah, I, I have. I have scoped it out. You know, there's uh with me with caps. I used to buy a lot of caps and I realized, my goodness, I'm paying like 35, 40 bucks sometimes for a cap, you know, and then now they're more. Yeah. Now they're getting higher. <laughs> but, but one thing about the bananas is they don't charge you shipping and handling, which is nope. nice. So, you know, and then me, I'm kind of picky with hats. Like, you know, this is a, a Weimer Hormiga hat that I'm wearing. The team just folded. They're in the Pecos league. And I bought the hat at the game and, uh, there was an Austin Weirdos cap that has like this very colorful brim. It's probably one of the, one of my favorite hats that I own. And it's just like I have to try the hats on first. You know, sometimes when I buy a hat, like I bought a hat from uh, Vasala Rip Rawhide. I bought a hat from Trenton in the mail. I put it on. It looks looks dumb on. It just doesn't fit me. Well. Yeah, it's too small. It's it stretches out. It doesn't have that <laughs> type of the brim and the the cra- yeah. like uh, yeah. I, I, mine, it's, it's, I have such a huge head. Mm-hmm. I wear, I wear a size eight. Fitted, yeah. So there's only limited options for me anyway. And they're only like two vendors. So if I can find one that's, you know, a lampshade that fits my, my big noggin, yeah. no, no, I, I've pretty good confidence that uh, it's going to look the way I want it yeah. to, but I, I know what you're saying. No, you're absolutely right. So it's like, if I can go, like, if I go to my, if I go to like the hat store and I can try on a hat, I can say, okay, that looks good. I'll buy it. Uh, but if it's something I'm getting online, I'm like, oh, do, do I do I make the purchase, then return it? You know, Amazon. You, not... those, those yellow jerseys look good. They look real good. Oh, Sharp. no, no. I, I do look good in yellow. My wife always tells me that. So Let's see if I have any. You have a. I see something there. I got. Uh, there you go. There, there's this one. Nice. There's, there's options for you. There's. Yeah. No, there's I like stuff. that. I like I like that design there. They yeah they did a nice job because I remember when they came up with that name I just thought it was silly and idiotic and I'm like, oh that's the logo okay that's nice I like that. It's Dan Simon. I mean Dan yeah, Simon, Dan a Simon. studio Simon who does some of the some of the best logos in all of baseball uh, between Burlington, him and Brandios. Yeah, Burlington sock puppets. Yep. 
Uh, he does the Tortugas as well. Dan Simon did our our logo, and that was a huge favorite. That was like the rebrand of the year back mm-hmm. in 2015. You know, Dan does tremendous work, and um, it, it's a brand that is recognizable and and really getting out there now. It's it's weird to see. I mean, I'm telling you, every single game we had in Daytona, I saw someone wearing a bananas hat or shirt mm-hmm. or something. Every game the entire year. Now, I mean, yes, they came to Daytona, but that's a lot of people. You know, that's that's a lot of games to see people wearing something from a team that's not really from there. Yeah. Now you said that's a three-hour drive between the two cities. Yeah, it's about it's yeah. three hours from me from my house because I'm about thirty-five minutes north of Daytona where I live. Okay. So it's okay. so it's three-hour shot. Yeah. Yeah, and I know. Yeah, Paul Caputo, who has the uh, baseball by design, he's had stories about uh, the Tortuga cap. So I think they're the only turtle logo now in minor league baseball. Yes. Now that Beloit yes. changed branding. Yeah. The they're the sky carp. Now they the were the snappers. Carp. So yeah, we are the only current uh, minor league affiliated turtle mascot team. Mm-hmm. And we've got some cool stuff. Like uh, I love our gear. I mean, I've got tons of hats and, and stuff for the Tortugas as well. It's just, I, I mean, I love so many of the brands in my, mm-hmm. I have about you know, 30 different hats here in the closet with me from all kinds of teams. I mean, if it's got a funky logo, I've got, yeah. you know, a, a Rocky Mountain Vibes hat here. I've got uh, Modesto Nuts. I've got Trash Pandas. I've got all the good stuff. I don't have a Disco Turkeys yet. No, no. Yeah. That, yeah <laughs> that's the thing. It's like if I want to buy these hats, man, I, that's that's investing a lot of money. And sometimes yeah. I'm like, is it worth it? You know, I remember I I tried on a Burlington sock cup. Uh, puppets hat it was like the the tricolor cap it just didn't look right on me i'm like okay, right. i'm not gonna i'm not gonna wear this cap and i'm more of a fan of like a dark color cap all one colors but I, i've been branching out getting the trucker caps and you know i'm more of a flex fit guy yeah hillsborough hops uh i they had a you see the type- marvel logo today Oh, I didn't see the Marvel logo today. Yeah, oh, the Marvel logos that have been coming out are cool. I can't I, wait I, to see the Daytona one, but the, I, the Hillsboro Hops looks cool. That, that one's cool. I did see the uh, the lug nuts, Lansing lug nuts. That looks that looks pretty sick. Oh my! They okay, were they, cool. They did a the, good uh, job. The wind surge in Wichita. I liked yep. how that looked. I saw the uh, the Danville Otterbots are are pretty angry with the Syracuse Mets because they're uh the Syracuse Mets logo looks a little Otterbot ish. So uh they're really? they're a little salty. Yeah. Oh, I mean I, I can see why they say that. It's a little it's a little Iron Man esque. So it okay. looks a little bit like the the Otterbots and uh they've been having a little fun on Twitter with that. Oh really okay I got bad blood man bad blood. Yeah the, and the Otterbots, you know that's uh they're a type of team that would welcome any kind of attention to them. Oh, sure. I got to go there this summer. That was a cool little ballpark, but little like it's a small town. Oh, you're right. It does look like the Otterbots. Yeah. Yeah. Otterbots were so. So when the Mets lost, you know, while you and I are sitting there pouting about it, the the (laughs) Otterbots were like, we're just going to leave this here. Like, that's what you get kind of thing. Oh, my God. (laughs) You know that that does look like the Otterbots. Yeah. No, no. Yeah. No. Yeah. I did Otterbots uh, last year and I did uh, Burlington as well. And I love Burlington. That's another old ballpark. Uh, Another great vibe. They are incredible with making that Sockville USA connection and as soon as you park the car you know people are greeting you uh i didn't see a parade but you know it i definitely had a look you can only do so much oh you can do so much yeah i (laughs) mean in a a perfect world we would have about five mascots running around but you know a mascot outfit could cost anywhere up to five grand for a nice yeah it's it's a lot of money people don't understand 
Yeah, no, and because I remember when I worked uh, for for uh, in Cincinnati, a professional soccer team in 03, back when you know soccer was run on a shoe budget. Yeah, we we're looking for a mascot, and I, I think back then it was about three thousand dollars for you know we wanted. God only knows what it is now. Yeah, and yeah. I don't know how great it was going to look, but yeah, a little bit of out of our budget. I, I don't know why we thought it was going to be less, but you know, so. <laughs> Uh, it's not like going to the costume store. It's <laughs> no it's a different. No, yeah. No, if, if you can, if somebody, if you can get, you know, if you can get a mascot uh, on the cheap, but then, you know, you have to have ones that have uh, areas where you can stick, uh, uh, you know, areas to breathe, to cool down, you know, one that's not going to stink, stink, then you're going to have to clean it. So that gets dry cleaned. I don't know where you take that it's to a rough life for a mascot. It's I, a I only dressed life. up as a mascot one time. Me and, too. Uh, Me too. And it was, and I, I did the worm on the field in, in at uh, in Jacksonville, actually at the Jumbo Shrimp Stadium mm. for uh, the college I was working for. I was our our eagle mascot. And okay, ran yeah, out there, and you know that was the highlight. That was the first time I ever signed an autograph too. And I didn't no. know like what I forgot what my guy's name was, and some kid just hands me a ball, and I was like, oh, I guess this is what we're. doing. <laughs> yeah i've never signed a baseball and i've well, never signed it as whatever character i am right now so no no i yeah i see mascots signing autographs all the time now like that's that's a thing yeah. i've seen uh rowdy who's the mascot in uh, the indians in indianapolis i've seen the mascots up in the chicago dogs they sign autographs i mean the kids love these guys sometimes they love them more than the players but Split signs him. Split usually the the mascot for the man. He usually writes a big. He puts a big smiley face and like throws it at the kid. Split's kind of a bully. Have you seen how jacked he is? He's the most he is jacked, jacked banana. Yeah, yeah. I wanna, ever. I want to test his urine. I don't see if he's on any <laughs> high <laughs> levels of potassium. High, high levels, of, levels potassium. of potassium. All right. Hey, hey. This was a lot of fun, Professor. I appreciate you coming on here. I, I if you could come to Indianapolis, let's meet up. Uh, brother you got it if i'm there it, yeah. it's a date you know a couple jersey guys getting together sounds yeah good. sounds good and we could talk about banana ball i can tell you where you can get a good slice of pizza here we'll, we'll be set we'll be set so uh so where can people find you if they're not at a daytona or savannah game online uh if you're on the the twitter machine you could find me at young professor g uh, TikTok and Instagram. It's at MG, the young professor. And if you're on Facebook or just looking for me on YouTube somewhere, it's just the young professor. Pretty easy to find. So you have a YouTube page as well. Oh man, I got it all brother. You can't get this far doing what I do without all that, <laughs> all that stuff. So, all right, we'll, we'll look you up. And uh, I guess before you go, now that it's the off season, what, what are your, obviously you're teaching, but do you have any plans that are not baseball for announcing? Sure. I mean, I just I've got a bunch of stuff coming up. I, I just did some MMA this weekend. I got a few yeah. more of those left this year, some pro wrestling as well. But I also work uh, collegiate basketball and we're getting ready to start that season for the Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University, oh. the Eagles. Uh, nice. So men's and women's basketball. I get to keep putting on the suit all winter long and uh, get some air conditioning. So I'll take yeah. It. So it's it's never an off season for you. Never. Got to keep it going. I hear you. All right. Well, thank you, uh, Professor, for coming on here. That's the young professor. Check him out online and uh, check him out at Savannah Bananas game. Daytona Tortugas as well. You definitely will notice him. All right. Thanks for coming on. Oh, brother. My pleasure, man. This was fun. Take care. All right. Let me pull. All right. That was the young professor. The young professor. He's a piece from New Jersey. He's from Rawway. I'm from Colonia. Those are two cities that border each other. He's a Met fan who doesn't remember the 86 team because he was born that year. 
I was nine years old at the time and remember it quite well. So what a great conversation with him. My goodness. I, I just thought he was a Daytona uh, Tortuga guy. And we're just going to talk about the Tortugas. He throws in the bananas. I'm like, good Lord. I got a guy who's connected with the bananas. So uh, great voice too. That guy has like that radio voice. You know, he, he can do like Kraft macaroni and cheese commercials. You know, you want to eat this. So, yeah. And he's a, he's a student. He's a high school teacher like me in the social studies department. He got his start in arena football. Like I did. Uh, we didn't really talk too much about combat sports, MMA wrestling. Sorry, Dan. That's another show. Get him on your podcast. Cause I'm sure he'll have a lot to say there. Uh, but yeah, uh, once again, banana ball, you can't escape it. I was not planning on talking about banana ball, but we did talk a little bit about banana ball here. So great to have him on here. I hope to meet up. I hope to meet up with any of these guys. I host uh, some of them don't live that far away from me. Some of them will be in Indianapolis for various reasons. And I hope we can meet up and uh, just, you know, talk baseball, you know, who, who wouldn't want to do that. So anyway, guys, thank you for listening and checking out the podcast. I appreciate you taking some time to listen, whether it's in the car at home or at work, the ballpark hunter gives you light, easy listening podcast for the baseball fan. So until next time, folks, this is Mark, the ballpark hunter. Check me out on your favorite websites and social medias at Ballpark Hunter, like Instagram, YouTube, TikTok, and all that good stuff. We'll see you next time. Stay safe. Oh, yeah. And adios. 